Hello and welcome back to the uh, Wide World of Wargaming Age of Sigmar podcast. As always, uh, I am your host, Alex Gonzalez, with my good hosts, uh, Jeremy Le Boogeyman Vessier and Garrett Mulroney. Uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight. We are going to talk about several different GTs, both here and abroad, uh, or domestic and foreign, so to speak, um, as we are the Wide World of Wargaming. And we're also going to take a look at a little bit of a unique list that uh, Jeremy and I and a a good friend of ours has been talking about for quite some time that seems to be a fun little podium list and uh, we're excited to talk about it but uh, before we jump in as always Garrett what's on your workbench well not a whole lot these days um, <laughs> I know I I went this weekend I was able to go meet up with my local chapter for the CCI and so we were doing a lot of puppy raising stuff this week and preparing for that and getting my puppy off his shots so that we can start taking him out places uh cleaning up a lot and getting and then I've been thinking about things basically this whole season like what do i want to do talking with people about next steps and in particular we've been talking about upcoming atc the american team championship because my group out here is thinking about sending one or two teams over there and so we're kind of like planning out what armies to bring because you need to have one of each grand alliance so it's like who would bring destruction who would bring chaos and so we're kind of like playing around with a lot of lists right there so i'm in the list building stage and then I once we kind of figure out kind of what sort of armies we want to bring, I think then it's kind of like go out, buy, build, paint, and get armies going. So my workbench will start becoming a lot more busy. But as of right now, like my Sylvaneth Force is basically all painted, and I just need to start getting games in. So yeah, that's 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 all I have going on. Not nothing too exciting in my parts. Um, what about you, Jeremy? How are things out there? I heard you just got back from a nice GT win. Yeah, um, I mean, my workbench has been crazy since last week because I've been I painted up an entire like uh, two thousand points, well, more than two thousand points actually. Those are Bone Reapers tabletop ready and everything for the event, uh, just so I can uh, you know show up, uh, win the event, and uh, make Alex sad. Uh, no, <laughs> the the um, I'm working right now on assembling more balloon boys uh, while drinking some of the Froig. Uh, which is a delightful PD whiskey, if you uh, don't know that. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to start painting them uh, soon because I want to. I want to take them to events, even though they're terrible. Uh, <laughs> You'll find a way to win with them. I'm sure. I, I'm sure we'll not. Uh, but uh, what else to say? Uh, I'm also excited. You know, uh, some of you already know. Maybe not all of you. Like I also, I'm all Team America for this year's ETC for AOS and. Which has been like we're getting closer and closer to our first practice round, and right now we're in just like full on uh, list design and talking about uh, team composition, and that's been a that's been kind of a unique experience uh, for me because I have, you know, I don't design armies for team events. I design armies for individual events, and uh, it is a complete mental like breakdown difference than like you like some of the armies we're reviewing are just like absolutely like they will never win. A major GT, but I can see why they would be like good in like a team composition uh, matchup pairing system like ETC. So that's that's been a kind of a fun, exciting time, um, and also getting ready for Riptide. I have no idea where I'm going to play for Riptide. Probably the Bone Reapers. Why are you trying to crap. fucking? Why are you trying to steal my participation trophy? First of all, second of all, rude, <laughs> rude. 
Third of all, because I come want you, on, man. Yeah. What, come on, pull yourself by your old uh, bony bootstrap. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, also like it'd be nice to like it gives Alex the context of seeing like alternative Osar Bone Reaper list and see how they do in events or not his list, and then he can tell me uh, he can you know you know hijack them at a later date if he wants to. I don't really care, but I'm definitely not going to be playing Bone Reapers for that much longer as soon as I get this uh, this uh, KO list painted up. Um, though you know we're going to talk about it later, but KO and Bone Reapers uh, are you know not a good mix. Okay, I never said uh, that. We will dive into that in a little <laughs> bit, sir. What's well, on your work? Well, before I start, it's one thing that I've noticed hearing you guys talk and like my talk is I think it's interesting how in the Pacific Northwest, your guys' tournament season seems to be January through summer. Well, out here, we're kind of looking at like June events onwards. So I think on the East Coast, we kind of ramp up near the end of the year while you guys have a quick, awesome ramp up in the beginning of the year. It's just interesting to see like where people's busy. Like yeah. I'm going to be super busy near the end, but I'm like got summer slaughter in July. We got Nova in August. We got the boys in November. We got uh, a tournament in October. Like we got a bunch of events out here in the end you of the year. I, you know, we were, I was talking about that with uh, team America uh, recently because uh, they're right now they're in a drought season for events for themselves. Uh, and then I was telling them about like what the year season looks like for me in the Pacific Northwest and the amount of, major events that are basically like less than two hour flight away. Um, and they were just jealous of the reality that like, and, and I'll share with you like the calendar I share with the rest of the team, uh, Garrett, so you can see for context, like the just volume of events there is this, just this year alone uh, for the Pacific Northwest and California. I mean, I guess like the whole West Yeah, if you count more than just the Pacific Northwest, it becomes way more of an active season throughout the entire year. Oh yeah, there's just so many events. And I mean, the real reason, one of the big reasons why is because, you know, Bay Area open, SoCal open, uh, you know, those are two, oh. uh, you know, really big events for, and we, at least, you know, Bay Area open will grow more. Well, it's even more than that. I mean, from the, just without even thinking about it, we got uh, in the Pacific Northwest, we got Wet Coast, we got Rose City Wrath, we got Riptide, we got Wagapalooza in fall, we got um, uh, The Forge later this summer as well. Uh, Cascadia the open. Cascadia Open. Um, we have formerly known exactly. Uh, then you know we yeah we do have the Bay Air or the BAO. We got SoCal Open. Um, we have uh, Hammerhead Games uh, GT in Sacramento in the summertime. We got OFCC in the summertime. We have um, uh, a bunch. Yeah. It's so much. It's just so much. None of those we listed by the way are RTTs. They're exactly. all RTTs and majors. Two day events, twenty more, twenty or more players. So, yeah, they're we just have an incredibly large volume, and I think uh, it's it's for some reason uh, not shared across. I guess maybe the coast. Like maybe you can tell me I'm wrong here, but like I feel like just the West Coast just has way more AOS events, like at least on the GT scale. Then I think East Coast gets like the bigger events, like in terms of sizing, but less frequent, basically. Yeah, no, I kind of see that. I think a lot of them are starting to pick up over here, but they tend to be later in the season. Like I always, I feel like in the January to like until Adepticon hits, there's kind of like nothing. Uh, We we don't really see anything out here until after Adepticon. But then once you get after Adepticon, you start getting some like May, you get Memorial Day, and then you get the summer. Those like the summer season is super busy. We had like Triumph followed by Summer Slaughter followed by uh gen con nova 
NashCon all kind of, I mean, within 12 hours, like we, we do like up to like two hours of flying, 12 hours of driving kind of thing. And then you get Du Bois in November and then there's a couple in October. So there, there's a big, we, we kind of have a bunch in the summer surrounding Nova and then a bunch after Nova leading up to LVO. But yeah, basically yeah. post LVO, there's nothing until Adepticon it feels like. So I think it's a it's a difference of when events happen mm. versus how many happen. Although you you do tend to have a little more out there, and we tend to have a few bigger ones out here. But yeah, I, I think it's just a con- when the concentration of calendar dates are versus actually uh, just not happening you know, out here. While we were talking about this, I just realized that I totally forgot about Boise Cup too. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, this is the inaugural KOS tournament for them as well. It's forty. They're a regular forty k event. So, yeah. Uh, but our good friend Aaron, uh, good friend and teammate Aaron Albert, uh, is uh, not only the originator, the progenitor of Boise Cup, but he uh, he also played this weekend. He played his Heat Knights at Slanesh at a GT and did not do half bad for someone who is just getting their toes wet in AOS. Yeah, yeah. He's never even played like that army at all. <laughs> so. No, he was literally dry brushing and like basing his models because though it was not a paint requirement, Garrett, um, he was like, oh, I don't want to like come in with like the minimum effort here. So he was just like, okay, at least they're all going to be painted and based to like some degree. And he was like just dry brushing his models and like finishing up basing in, in our Airbnb and just being like, so how does this army work? <laughs> we're like, okay, let's crack open the book and learn you a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm proud of him. I'm also proud of Ben for doing, finishing up nine. Oh, sorry, Ben Schmoller and our team for finishing up nine for uh, shitty Stormcast. Uh, so it was. Sorry, it's not shitty charge. Stormcast. It's, it's a charge. Come on, they're they're like, if you don't play shooty Stormcast, don't don't play Stormcast. It's the problem. <laughs> it was it was a good list two years ago. Or whenever 2.0 came out, yeah, basically. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's, that's it's fun stuff. Uh, on my workbench, I I don't have very much here. Um, I'm building up a painting up a Cavalos and three stalkers for a possible Riptide list that I'm looking at. Um, like we've talked about, uh, Jeremy at quite some length but for you garrett uh, i really like my lvo list i think that it is one that is going to be relevant basically until chapter approved but um and i and I, i'm starting to enjoy it now i honestly didn't enjoy it coming into lvo very much or like at least not as comparatively as as other lists but this new list that i built and i'm gonna test out tomorrow um i'm liking it a lot it's more it's slightly more dynamic it might not be as survivable in terms of regeneration uh, and model comeback because it's got no named characters in it, which I think is going to be the big litmus test to whether or not I keep this list or not. Um, but it is one that is going to have some usefulness in it. It's going to have the stalkers and stalkers can be crazy in combat when, when utilized correctly. So yeah, this is uh, what I got going on right now. Um, and then, yeah, not much else paint in terms of painting, just that. No other projects, don't have to build anything else. It feels pretty good to not have to worry about any of this. Um, just trying to get it all done, right? Yeah, I mean, you need a, you need a, what's the word I'm looking for? We need to get you in the mindset where Arkan is no longer a requirement in your army. Like, I think that will be- Arkan and Catacross? 
Or catacross, yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's kind of the same education we're trying to do each other right now, right? I started OBR with Nagash and Arkin, and I'm down to two Leech Cavalos and a, 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 a soul mace, or sorry, a bone shaper. <laughs> so pretty big drastic change in this design <laughs> yeah and like you know i was super hyper against uh battalions the only thing i wasn't more against battalions with was i was more against crawlers than anything else but i still didn't think uh, uh, battalions were a great idea or a great investment now after talking to you at length i'm really starting to consider uh the shield uh core battalion a lot more yeah. uh and i and well i think the big th- I think the big thing about battalions is that you, you, they're unnecessary when you have Catacross because he gets you those five relentless discipline points. But as soon as you drop him, relentless discipline points. Yeah, and I wasn't aware. I straight up like an, again, like uh, in another episode of Alex doesn't read his fucking book fully. Um, I had no idea that battalions gave you an extra discipline point. So uh, that was I was like, that's a big incentive to to you know use it uh, to get the battalion. So. Um, yeah, really, really looking at that. Like we talked about just before recording, the the amount of free discipline points essentially you get from that battalion is pretty helpful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about some events here. So there were a lot of events that went on this weekend. And uh, Jeremy, you and I actually went to one. We went to a GT, the Hammer, at uh, Spokane's Gamers Haven, run by our good friend Bob. Um, It was actually the last two-day event, the last grand tournament of any game system that he's going to have there before he makes a big move. He's going to be moving his game location a lot closer to uh, central Spokane. And when we all went up there... Um, our good uh, friend Vince Weibert, uh, who is a 40k player, we haven't gotten him into AOS yet, but uh, uh, he let us stay at his. Um, yeah, right. Matter of time, uh, he let us stay in his uh, house that he's currently renting as an Airbnb in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So it's just over the border from uh, and right next to Spokane. So thank you, Vince, for letting us stay at your place, and uh, it was you know, a great event. It was the final event for Gamers Haven and it was uh, at least final big event. Uh, great spread of armies. There wasn't just one dominating faction, uh, you know, across the entire board, but you know, we got a lot to look at here. And like you talked about when we spoke about the workbench, Jeremy, you and I brought the same army. We both bought, brought bone reapers with two relatively different lists. Um, you know, I don't have to talk about my list because it was just my LVO list. And at this point, our listeners should be well aware. And if they aren't, they can always listen to our previous episodes. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> however, Jeremy, can you tell me a little bit about how your day one was? Yeah. Well, so I guess the list difference is I'm trying to build an OBR list that doesn't depend on like magic heavy because that's why I started with. Uh, so this list was only Catacross with uh, a Leech Cavalos and um, a Bone Shaper. And then a unit of 30, more Tech Guard with Sword and Shield. Two units of 10, Sword and Shield. A Harvester, a unit of Stalkers. Um, and uh, and then the Shield Core Battalion. And that was pretty much it for the army. There wasn't like any like additional... like um, That's it. Like So no real magic dominance. Just... Effectively, just depending on like uh, body's durability and hitting power of like a very few models. Now, mm, I'll, I'll start with the first day. Like I'll, I'll jump right into day one. I played uh, 
what I would consider the two major kind of uh, armies that are like hard counters to a BR. Uh, I played first round, I played a change host list, I think with 18 or 21 flamers, uh, which, by the way, is a one-drop army that has the ability to teleport a unit every uh, hero phase anywhere on the table. Um, so, like, and it, there's no range. It's as long as the Lord of Changes is alive and the unit's visible to him, they could just pick him up and redeploy that anywhere. And he played in the host of Eternal Conflagration, I think that's what it's called. It's the, the one that gives him, like, minus one ran, uh, or an additional minus one ran in shooting. Or, and so what ended up happening is, I think he had 21, 18 or 21 Flamer, two Exalted Flamer, a Lord of Change, and 20 Pink Horrors. That's- uh, yeah. And basically, it was the first three turns of me just getting shot to, sh- like, to absolute bony shit. This is normal. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to get tabled. But then my opponent on turn three um, made this decision, which very was very weird to me. Um, he decided to put all of his Flamers down the center, like not at max range, and basically be in threatening range of the objective for scoring purposes. Problem is he didn't focus enough on the Mortex and didn't focus at all on the Harvester for the first three turns. At least the 30 men blocked the Harvester babies and carry, uh, I guess, babysits. Uh, and then I managed to effectively wrap the entire rest of that Flamer unit, his entire shooting, basically, including Exalted Flamers, into combat of the Mortex and just grinding them down. Um and so basically the thing is the first two turns he didn't score single points and we're playing shifting objective because he was just trying to shoot me not really trying to grab objectives so i ended up just already having an early point lead even though i was like pretty much decimated at that like third turn but because of that weird positioning instead of committing to just decimating me and and uh and, uh the the army he just decided to kind of throw me a bone i guess and let me charge his entire colors <laughs> um <laughs> throw you a bone literally yeah no pun intended but now i just feel bad about it uh it's like what a terrible fucking joke uh <laughs> and then he he decided the village cavalos with god bone armor was in combat with his like this stuff he he was trying to kill it and i don't know why because i was like you could just be shooting the mortec and like not that guy and he i think that's just his target priority was off and i think i just i scraped by because he he was new and learning to play the list so Strike it up to luck and, you know, more experience, I guess. Uh, and then second round, I play another change host list with another hev- heavy flamer build, except instead of 21 flamers, it's only like 15 I be- uh, fifteen or, or 12, I believe. Uh, but it has like 40 pink ores. And holy God, that's a lot of wounds to chew through. But uh, surprisingly, he threw one of the blocks uh, completely away from his army to t- try to sneak an objective behind me. Uh, which he did, but the problem is the 10 Mortex that were on that objective plus the Leech Cavalos managed to just like nuke like 29 or 28 models in that round of combat, which was incredibly high. Like it's very unlikely. It's just a great turn for me. Uh, and then he just lost the other like a third of them to Battleshock. And at that point, like it was kind of like the writing was on the wall in that unit. Like they chewed through like the 100 wounds in the next, like in two, two rounds of combat basically. Uh, so that was, uh, that kind of decided the game because he, wasn't really able to kill the 30 men block of Mortex, which is kind of walking across the field, like, you know, you know, taking off his home objectives. Uh, and I think it was also due to lack of experience with the army. And, and it was, I was playing Steven and he hasn't played AOS for a year. So once again, I got lucky against like a hard counter list in my opinion. Like, so like flamers are just absolutely ridiculous. The amount of bloody shots with all their combo synergy 
like the plus one to wound, the plus two to hit, the, <laughs> the additional minus one ran. Like, I get it. Like, it's a low model count army, but I don't think there's many units in the game that can just survive the sheer amount of, like, shots and, and damage output this, these things generate, especially with D3 damage. But anyway, um, round three, I play a Sylvaneth player uh, named Matthew Hunt, and he's, his army is just absolutely gorgeous. It's like an autumn-painted mm-hmm. Sylvaneth. I'm proud. Like, he, this is like a, a Sylvaneth player that made it, like, day one, like, undefeated. Like, he's, he must know how to play his list, and he definitely didn't know how to play his list problem was there was a power creep difference between my book and his book um which was that the stalkers got into combat of his like uh managed to get in combat with like some of the tree revenant and i managed to maneuver in a way where the current founders couldn't swing and activate from behind them and then the stalkers were just sitting in cover and then he sent the stop uh, the current founders and durthu at him with the reroll save and the two up save and cover like they just tanked everything <laughs> So that was the problem. Is like is like the most nastiest of his melee power was wrapped up finding three stalkers for basically the rest of the game. Eventually, the stalkers actually won out, like because of the regenerating wounds from Catacross nearby, uh, and then there was also the Leech Cavalos and the melee. Uh, it just was really unfortunate. Like it's just the you could tell the power difference gap between the two books. Like you have Durthu plus six Kurnoth Hunters and one Tree Revenant, and they can't punch through three stalkers and one leech capitals, which is like bonkers to me. Uh, and the game was decided because he couldn't get on any of the objectives in the middle. We're playing battle for the pass. And I didn't even like, I was kind of feeling lazy, like on turn three and four, I didn't even push the more tech guards, the 30 men block forward, even though I could. And they were like, within definite charging range of his cut off bow hunters. But I was just like, they're not going to remove them off the table. So I don't even have to try anymore. That's, this is how lame I feel like my army, the OBR is. Like, I don't even have to try to win. It's fucking stupid. Uh, so he just, like, power creep difference. Couldn't make it. So that was my my day one. But my favorite part of day one is I got to watch Alex play his second round opponent for a little bit. And that was, okay. that was glorious. Let's, let's start with your day, Alex. First of all. How was your day one? Uh, I, I just don't have words for that, man. I just, I just don't have words for you right now. Uh no, 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 no. Don't skip your first round right, Well, opponent. you know my Come first on. round opponent? Uh, I played Daniel Lin. I'd played him before. A uh, great guy. Good repertoire with him. It was real fun. I uh, had his Seed Knights of Slanesh, um, you know, as a Cyberite host. It was uh, really fun. Um, I wanted out. Uh, Heed Knights kind of have a huff, rough time overall against OBR, I would say, um, which I don't mind because I have PTSD from Heed Knights with my um, – with my night hunt, so they can get fucked. But he was a great guy. It was a great game. Um, all was well. Second game, uh, Jeremy uh, was lovingly enjoying it and, you know, harassing me the whole game and, you know, just whispering, 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 wow, not whispering fucked up comments in my ear to psych me out. And, you know, he, he was uh, <laughs> triggering me and he was uh, doing everything he could to make me lose. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was the coach quite, from the Cobra Kai team. I was like, quite frankly, he was just being villainous. Um, so, so because of that, I lost. I'm not going to blame anything else but that, um, but Jeremy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I played KO, and it was, uh, of course, Scorched Earth. Um, I'd actually never played Scorched Earth with my OBR before, so I was relatively curious how an army that didn't have as much kind of um, – board presence as my night hunt did uh would work 
um, you know, because it, it is less bodies overall. Um, and it was a little tricky. Um, I definitely didn't deploy well. And I, uh, you know, my opponent had a great number of drops. He was by no means a new player and he had played KO since before the new book. So he, you know, kind of had his own ins and outs with his strategy. And, you know, he was a competent player, of course. Um, I played Shane Russell and uh, he brought a, um, you know, he brought a Barak Urbaz uh, army and he had the Aetheric Navigator Stormcaller with the Cyclonic Aethometer. Um, he also brought an Aether Chemist. Um, he brought, uh, you know, gunstock, uh, three Gunstock Haulers. I had no idea they were battling now, or at least in that uh, city. Um, he had uh, Sky Wardens, three Sky Wardens with Skyhook volley, and Volley Gun. Another one just like that. 20 gun, uh, Grunstock Thunders and an Ironclad. And he had the Grunstock Escort Wing. Um, what I wasn't aware of is that the Navigator existed. Because I had literally never seen a Navigator model before or even seen it on the table. Because you just would never see one. And um, part of why I lost um, was because he took advantage of a mistake I made. Which, hey... You know, if you're a good player and another person makes a mistake, you should completely exploit that mistake as hard as you can. And so I cannot fault um, anything but him taking full advantage of, of my mistake. I He gave me turn one. I initially thought, okay, well, it'd be good to at least creep up the board and try to steal his objectives. What I should have done is I should have just completely hardened on all four objectives and just been like, okay, cool. Turn three, I'm then going to jump on the two objectives in the front of his table. But I didn't do that. I kind of spread myself a little too thin, a little bit more in the front rather than in the back. Um, and I didn't properly, uh, I, I knew that at least one unit could deep strike. And this is a mistake of just not knowing the army. I didn't know that every single boat could deep strike. Um, I thought that just maybe only one could, or maybe just the ironclad could. So all of a sudden, um, you know, at least one, uh, two boats are in my back line and, uh, in the ironclad and, uh, they do a lot of work, but not before I can get some buffs off. Um, I give mystic shield to both harvesters I didn't quite care if my Mortec had, um, you know, any sort of buffs or anything, but my 10, 10 man Mortec unit was in cover on an objective, which is, you know, very hard to move with their two uh, sitting two up armor save. Um, and then I had, uh, I had Arkin. I didn't care about buffing our Catacross, but Arkin had protection and a gash active rather than mystic shield. Now, what my mistake was, was giving mystic shield or not giving mystic shield to Arkin and just having, um, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I can't use my words right now, uh, protection and the gas, because I wasn't aware that he could do a hero phase mortal wound ability because of the navigator. The navigator's got an ability where you can choose an enemy unit within 36 inches and you can just point and click. Um, you can have their movement, but on a five up, uh, you, they, you, they also take D3 mortal wounds. So, you know, he rolled his five, he did two mortal wounds, uh, one went through and that caused me to lose protection in the gash even before his shooting even started. So that was a huge deal. And he ended up, it, it took all the Thunders and the Gunstock Holler to kill Arkin. So it was a lot of shots, or, or the, the Ironclad and the, the Thunders. But uh, still, losing Arkin turn one was huge. Um, and then on top of that, he, get, he got a double turn on me, of course. And then one Harvester dies. 
Um, and we, I end up making some real crazy moves to end up burning all fours of, of his objectives throughout the game. And he ended up burning all of mine by the end of the game as well. But the problem was, um, I, I was being, uh, I was being kind of a spread thin and I was, I had one failed charge that Jeremy witnessed, which basically had cost me the game from where I was at that point. Um, but it was uh, it was a huge learning experience, um, and and on top of that, you know, with scorched earth, if your opponent gets more points from burning objectives than you do, that's a huge deal. And I think only one of the four objectives I burned gave me two points, and then the other ones just gave me one additional point, so um, or just one point for the burn. So that really hurt me in the end. Uh, another huge factor uh, was another dice roll situation. Um, the ironclad shot at. That ten more tech in cover, and with uh, its main gun, its small guns, and the torpedo. Before even doing the torpedo attacks, the fourteen one rend two damage attacks um, went through, and um, he did twelve saves. I, I failed five of them with a bad dice roll, just like five ones pulled up, and I did not roll a single death save. So all ten of that more tech unit just disappeared uh, from shots and bad dice rolls. So, you know. You play the game, and sometimes the dice don't go your way. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, let's let's talk a little bit about like what um, outside of your mistakes, like why that KO list was doing um, working here, right? It was the fact that you were playing in a mission where your army is like not exactly no. fast, right? Yeah, it's not. It doesn't, not... Have, doesn't have board control. And it's a core objecting objective uh, mission that you have to burn to get extra points, right? So you're in a situation where your opponent just basically managed to deep strike all of his threats behind you, and you're like, "Shit, do I commit to fighting off these threats with resources, or do I just keep pushing forward and sit on objectives to uh, get the points, right? Uh, or the his objectives to get the points, right? In the early game, and I think it's it's the one weird situations where surprisingly, like that oh, matchup yes. was good for KO in that situation. It's not, it's not great, but it's a good matchup for KO. Uh, and it's the same problem I realized like throughout the, the weekend from my OBR list is that you, and when the opponent gets behind you, it's hard to, you don't have enough resources usually to deal with that threat effectively and still be pressuring your opponent going forward. Um, at least that's that's kind of the key walk away I got from, from that weekend because it was my first time playing OBR. For a GT or an event, and I just I kind of like in, I was in many times I was like this is just like playing fire slayers, like it's the same situation I run into with yeah. like elite kind of like durable foot heavy armor. Like I don't have a way to deal with like armies that have good board control. Uh, now I definitely do think OBR have a better opportunity like control than the fire slayers do for that. But the list we've been building have been so point heavy and heroes that like it's it feels like we need more units right yeah That's kind of like the conclusion well it, but anyway i just wanted to give a shout out to shannon absolutely like, good job man like you make me proud because i hate that book it's fucking hot garbage but i'm still gonna try to make it work and you hell yeah did very well with it like so and um, uh shane yeah. is a listener of the podcast so i'm sure he'll appreciate that shout out jeremy um one other thing yeah, okay. um, I will say uh, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to plan try because I want to play Night Hunt this season as well, not just OBR, and then eventually you know Soulblight if that comes out or when it comes out. Um, 
and I was trying to figure out what, like how I should differentiate between the two armies. And I realized like, you know, after that round, I was like, oh, I had no idea that the boats can't retreat if they're in combat with something with fly. And all two of the missions in that tournament, in this tournament, or actually uh, three of the missions in this tournament were ones where you got to get all across the board, in, whether it's like hitting four corners or it's hitting your opponent's back end like real hard. You needed board control armies in in just this this mission packet um, for these five rounds. And so, retros- in, in retrospect, I absolutely should. Uh, my night hunt would have been doing fantastic this week, this last weekend. Um, in almost all matchups, save for say. Daniel's uh, Hedonites and even you know your OBR, but I quite frankly haven't played OBR versus um, Night Hunt yet, so I'm not completely certain how that outcome would be yet. So I, I still want to, I'd love to test that out. Cool. But um, um, in this one, real quick, real quick, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong, but can you fly high if you're locked in melee with something no. with fly? Because I know the FAQ ruled that fly high is not no, disengage. Uh, so I believe it's disengaged. You can't, you cannot disengage from a unit with fly, yeah. uh, which means that the boats uh, cannot sh- retreat and shoot from unit against a unit that has fly. But you can still fly high. Size, yeah, but you can still, you, the, you can fly high if you're engaged because I because th- the FAQ ruled that uh, fly high is different from disengage. I forget. I'd have to look it up again if uh, fly high yeah, also has a restriction. Story. But if it, it just. It's. It, I believe the only thing they said in the fact is like if you do fly high against a unit that you're in combat with that has the fly keyword, you don't get to shoot. That's so, still that's still great. Move. I know they think they, they said that fly high fly high doesn't counter as a retreat at all. Is what the FAQ? Oh, yeah, really? the FAQ that's stated amazing. that fly high is not flat out not a retreat move. It's you a, know what? You guys can talk about this while I go pull up the fact and read. It, but, uh, <laughs> I, if that is the case, that's just absolutely yeah. Because I believe you. Because I believe you can fly high if you're dissing if you're engaged with uh, fly units. And I believe the FAQ made it state that fly high is not a retreat move. Yeah, it says if I use a fly high ability in sky vessel that is within three inches of an enemy unit, and it doesn't specify flying, just as your enemy unit, uh, does that count as a retreat move? And they said no. Yeah. So. Basically, yeah, you can't disengage from a unit. Oh, fly, okay. You can definitely fly high against a unit of fly. So I wanted to make sure that that was clear when you're doing your night hop planning, Alex. That they, if they have the wound profile to still be able to fly high, they, I believe, unless fly high has the rule states otherwise, you can fly high while engaged with fly units, and then you're good to go. Yes, you can. Yeah. You just can't disengage. So yeah, then they can still fly high away from That's you. Fine. Alex. At um, least they're not, so not stopping shooting afterwards. No, you can shoot after fly high. No, they can't. It's not kind of as a retreat move. So yeah, just just wanted to chime in, uh, chime in real quick, and uh, you know, crush your dreams. No, continue with the rest of your tournament. Good night, everyone. Uh, (laughs) No, uh, (laughs) good to know. Good to know. Um, Yeah. So either way, I definitely think Night Hunt would have been a better choice, and I think mission packets are going to depend on what army I bring to what event. Now, Um, my next event will probably still be OBR, though. Uh, However. Uh, that was just day one. Um, you know, we, I played against a semi-shooty Stormcast list two to wrap everything up. Um, but then going into day two, Jeremy, how did 
before before we go to day two, sorry to interject again. Um, I actually wanted to kind of chime in on you saying your army will depend upon mission packets, and that kind of brings up a point of discussion that people have been talking about. What on thoughts of actually giving out the mission packet to players ahead of time because people like you and Jeremy would be able to list tailor to a mission packet rather than just trying to bring take all comer lists that can handle Garrett, any mission. Garrett, every what player, are your thoughts on that? Every single competitive player looks at the army, or they should. They should read their mission packet beforehand so they, they can build a list that works best with the mission packet. And this is not something that's new. It's not something that's new to Age of Sigmar. It's not something that's new to any Games Workshop game. In any 40k tournament, you always look at the missions and go, oh, sweet, the mission's already up because this is what's done. And you build a list for the missions, or at least that's what I do for the most part. Well, it there there are many events like Du Bois GT did this. They didn't. They just said any of the eighteen generals handbook missions are available. Adepticon, same thing. They don't tell you the missions ahead of time. There are many of the large events out there. They don't release the mission packet. Actually, they just tell you, hey, here's the house rules we'll have, and um, any of the eighteen missions go. They don't share what missions are going to be used. Many events do that. I guess for me, I just like into contrary belief. To contrary belief, I'm a, as a competitive player, I don't build armies based on tournament packets. I do base build armies around the 18 missions. Like I prefer all combos always. Yeah, let me uh, rephrase it. My night hunt hadn't changed in year in almost like a year. It was an all comers list, and then this LVO list that I've been running consistently, it also is all comers. So I don't know. All I mean is in in hindsight's 2020. Well, yeah. let's, let's pause for a second, it's, and it's define what we mean by outcomers. I think for the audience, once again, um, I I define an outcomers list as I designed the list to not get overly punished by the army mechan- the mission mechanics that are in all eighteen missions, which is don't only bring one hero that's like susceptible to dying because you're not going to do very well in like duality of death or three places of arcane power and so forth and so forth. Right? Uh, don't bring armies with low model count because you'll have a problem with i mean unless they have like mechanics that increases the model count like it's the idea that like you're designing the mission the army to play around the objectives of possibly all 18 missions yeah like and, you got focal uh, points and uh battle for, or not battle for the past uh scorched earth and stuff which have a lot of objectives if you don't have yeah. the bodies or at least board control mechanics you're going to run into yeah. huge issues of controlling don't objectives build, don't bring an army that depends on like deep strike or reserve mechanics because you might you're gonna if you're gonna play total commitment that just ruins your like game completely your entire game plan um like there's just there is all comers doesn't mean balance all comers means because i don't think all lists that are all comers are balanced uh (laughs) from a rules perspective uh it just means like bring thing tools to play in every mission Mm -hmm. basically yeah make make sure that your list can play every single mission like you don't have if you do have a weak mission you minimize those weaknesses as much as you can yeah now going into day two though we do need to talk (laughs) about that uh jeremy how did your final two rounds of the tournament go well so my hardest matchup actually was against uh nicholas braun's uh, seraphon he plays like a board control specific seraphon so you know lots of summoning lots of points two engines of god uh, Cogs, Bailwind on the Salon, just to you know get all the maximum constellation points. Uh, and you know we've played many times before, so it's I think this is the third time we played together. 
against each other at a tournament. Uh, and, you know, he's used to playing against my Fire Slayers, and basically he played against the same matchup, except I was playing OBR, right? It's the same effective army mechanic. Uh, and, you know, he was, like, he, you know, on turn four, we knew there was no way for him to win the game because he had killed zero of my units, and the best he could do was tie me up in points. Uh, but he didn't, he wanted to make sure I wasn't, he was trying to make sure I wasn't going to be able to get full points basically, uh, mm. which he did. And the, the game, the scoring mechanic of that event had like, uh, uh, additional points, depending on if you killed more than your opponent or if you tabled him completely, or, or at least a starting army. So instead of turn five, trying to go for the Hail Mary kind of win like the major victory on primary, I decided to just focus on killing the last three models in his army that were as part of his starting army. Uh, and that's that's how the game ended up. Like I, I basically surrendered the tie on the primary mission, uh, but then wanted to collect as many points as I could in secondary from tabling him. The the playing Nick is is a treat always because not only is he playing Seraphon and he plays it like flawlessly well, uh, but it is an army that since it has such good board control in terms of summoning plus teleportation plus he's never out of the game. Like like I don't think like he's always climbing uphill but he's never out of the game no matter what turn and it and this is why he really like double you know the initi- the random initiative in in aos because had i had i not lost initiative for the last like four rounds of the game like basically only one i think initiative on turn two i would have probably just would have been sex the most one-sided game in the uh in like in that game but because of double like the random initiative order i what he was able to make it like close right yeah um and i just don't i you know props to him i can't wait for him to get his new book and uh and crush me the next time i play him uh, <laughs> or just make it, like, you know edge out a win so i'm looking forward to that uh but my last round was uh, against uh, giovanni from uh, the mama's boys uh which is a club in the in uh idaho i think in pullman um it's in moscow moscow idaho thank you uh and he played iron jaws and he made a huge tactical mistake in deployment in, in our in our game. He basically surrendered one objective on his on a site uh, on on the deployment, which allowed me to just send some stalkers and the leash cavalos on it. You know, turn one and just sit and cover. And then he had to counter that by sending a mock crusher uh, and hard boys. And so, short story was game ended because the mock crusher couldn't kill the stalkers and leash cavalos and died to them on like one turn or two rounds of combat and then catacross just ran up the center of the table and engaged all 30 of his remaining hard boys in combat and they just could not kill catacross and at this point the game was just already a runaway because he was never going to make up the gaps and points so it was kind of an anticlimactic finish for the ugt but in a sense it was such a one-sided game uh but it is just it's it, it speaks the power of difference between the two books effectively uh anyway that was my day in my entire tournament. I walked away with best def and best uh, general, uh, you know, and uh, and I robbed Alex of his participation trophy. So you know, nothing can get more excited exciting than that. Yeah, How I have about su- you? That was your day too. Well, I have such supportive friends. It's, it's so great. It's so great to have so many nice people in my life. Um, yeah. I truly feel blessed. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, besides uh, not coming home with anything because of that. Um, yeah, I got third overall. Um, my next two games were really, really, really good games. I played Chris, uh, Kristen, 
who he had a all troll army, all troll army plus um, a shaman. And he, it was a realm of light with no realm spells, but the realmscape features at the start of the hero phase, you roll a dice and on a six, you can, it's like called faster than light. And like one of your units can basically teleport across the board. So he gives me first turn. I actually roll a six and I should have put 20 more tech, but instead I put 10 more tech guard on an unsecured objective of his. And, uh, you know, and trolls can be deadly in close combat, but they're, it's a really low model count army. It was literally a 38 model army. So um, I came in relatively confident. However, what I wasn't expecting is that he would roll sixes for three turns in a row, um, so or two turns in a row. So I was I had my guys on my objective, kind of, but wasn't really paying attention to the realmscape feature all that much after teleporting my own guys on there. And then all of a sudden, six trolls show up in my back end, just like you talked about, Jeremy, getting um, getting units to get behind OBR, especially hard-hitting units. Uh, that's why I'm of the mind and relatively confident with my night hunt against some OBR uh, for that exact same reason now. Um, being able to just kind of jump in and harass things from behind or from bad angles is super, super helpful if you're fighting Bone Reapers. And uh, six trolls will do it. Um, and then the next turn, six more trolls did the exact same thing. And uh, it got kind of scary kind of quickly. But uh, my top of turn five, I did a really good retreat and a really good charge. And I was able to grab all four objectives and take the win. And then my final game was against your round four opponent, Nicholas, and his Seraphon. It is always a great game. It's a pleasure to play him. He's a fucking peach. Um, he uh, has good cho- a good taste in whiskey. And uh, it was a good game. Um, it was a hard-fought game because he just has so many goddamn skinks. But um, I ended up squeaking out a minor win against him, just as you had a minor win against him as well. And uh, that wrapped up the tournament for me, got third place, and it was fun. But we do want to talk about at least one other event here, and uh, that is going to be the event that happened in the U.K., and that list that happened across the pond in the UK was the Doug Great South Wog GT. Um, you know, there was a good showing there. 38 people showed up to that GT. Uh, so it would be just under a minor or a major for, uh, for AOS in the ITC. So that's great. Um, and then the top three, there weren't any Zinch. Um, number one was Michael McLean with his uh, Ossiarch Bone Reapers. Uh, Congratulations on the win. Not too much for us to really talk about in this episode because we've talked so much about Bone Reapers with uh, me playing it and Jeremy hopping on the bandwagon. You know how it is. Um, really, it's just a 60 more tech guard, Arkin, a Clavos, and a Bone Shaper uh, in the Shield Core. Um, but, you know, he did really great with it. Skaven list seems to be pretty basic as well. Um, you know, with a Warlock Bombardier, a Vermin Lord, Warp Seer. Uh, 60 clan rats and some plague monks, storm fiends, and giant rats. But Garrett, sounded like when we talked a little bit about this list that you had some interest in taking a look at the uh, the underdog of that tournament that got third place. Yeah, so this is the uh, Ogre Ma Tribes list from... What's his name again? <laughs> uh, sorry, I have his... Uh, well, that English guy, the Ogres. That guy yeah. with the face... <laughs> Maybe he's Scottish. It'll be uh, but yeah, so third place list with Ogre Mod Tribes, which people have kind of said uh, is a much not not the 
best book in the world. I think it kind of came out with the Bone Reapers at the same time. And so it was compared to that, unfortunately. But people seem to have found uh, a way to make this list do well. And I've had a lot of people in my local scene starting up Ogres. And I've been reading online because Ogres is something that I've kind of started really looking into. And this list is one that I've seen similar things to a lot. So yeah. starting off, the key things is, A, it's in Shaish. So you can get a Ethereal Stonehorn with Metal Cruncher. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that gets you is a big guy, three up save, unrendable. And the Metal Cruncher is at the start of every combat save, uh, combat phase, if the enemy uh, that you're locked in combat with has a, a four plus or better save, you just do D6 Mortal Wounds. Every turn, start of the combat phase. That so is great- wonderful. Yeah, a great way of dealing with uh, Bone Reapers and stuff, just spamming mortal wounds to get around their reroll saves and stuff. Um, the And then adding a second stone horn with the brand of Svard, which is the relic from the Boulderhead Maw Tribe. And the Mount Trait bladder, uh, Black Clatterhorn essentially means that your uh, six uh, tusk attacks on the stone horn the horn attacks are hitting on twos all of a sudden. So he'll have six attacks, twos and threes, rend two, three damage with plus one damage on the charge. So right. he can. D- yeah, so he'll be at six attacks that are twos and threes, rend two, four damage on the charge. So it can be a ton of damage from that guy. Um, so he's got those two stone horns. See them, those two guys in that particular build, I see a lot. Uh, then he has the Gormand Battalion, and inside of it, he's got a Slaughtermaster, 12 Ogre Gluttons, two units of four Iron Guts, and two Lead Belchers. So the Gormand basically, I believe, is at the start of every uh, hero phase, you could just heal one wound to all of your Ogre units. Um, and so it's just a great way to just have these high wound characters, guys just churning along, staying alive. Uh, Slaughtermaster, of course, has Ribcracker as the spell, which uh, target unit minus one save until your next hero phase. Uh, so great, great spell there. And then the 12 Ogre Gluttons is just a nice anvil unit, can take a lot of punishment, does a lot, can actually d- pump out a little bit more damage than I think people are expecting. And uh, I just. Yeah, especially on the charge. And that's a big thing about ogres in general that a lot of people keyed on early on but are seeing in practice is actually kind of terrifying where every charge roll you make, throw those dice for mortal wounds. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, like I played against an ogre list and it was just one of those things where it's like he makes a charge roll and he's like, oh, yeah, let me do my mortal wounds. And it was like he charged me like three times a turn. And I'm like, God, these mortal wounds just start adding up. And with the 12 man glutton units or the two frost lords on stow horns or the mortal wounds are going off on four ups, it really starts to hurt a lot. Um, And then the iron guts are just solid. I mean, they they get the four up save as opposed to a five up save on the gluttons, and they can just pump out a bunch of three damage swings um, with a two inch reach. They're just a solid unit. They're kind of like running three man sword hunter units, honestly, is how I see them. They just perform well. and yeah just love them and then the two lead belchers are kind of a tax unit that are required in the gourmand but honestly they're kind of fun when you take into account that every charge roll you're getting mortal wounds off so you just throw like little two-man lead belcher units at people and can just get off a lot of mortal wounds and so i i I like this list it has it's it's a a oppressive kind of just damage list with a nice anvil of the gluttons i think and uh 
I don't know, Jeremy, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? That's my overall. I like it. It seems pretty balanced given what ogres can do. Yeah. Um, so my only gripes about this list, and I think it's mostly because I like, um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of two stone horns. Uh, when you have uh, the one, the metal cruncher stone horn and with uh, it's dynamic. I like, I like doing a Huskard on a thunder tusk. Just for the mount trait that forces your opponent to strike last if uh, you didn't charge. Uh, so in the case where, because they're kind of your spearhead, like uh, you can kind of run them together. They're like a spearhead, kind of like contingency with each other. And you know, objective they count for 20, 20 yeah. models. Uh, so you're in a situation where, you know, like if somebody decides to like charge, you know, because to be honest, you might not go first. You still want to move forward, and they throw a bunch of keepers at you making those keepers like strike last which is effectively gonna, probably going to be the same time you're going to strike uh is um is good like it's just it's just a nice uh like i don't know i just feel like i i just like the idea of um of uh that more than uh what's the word? i guess i'm trying to find the word i'm like i just think it's more effective and more balanced than going all in for like the stone or the both the stone horns because most of the times what I have is when you have one that's incredibly durable, like the one the third amulet, is the other one becomes more of a liability on the table, uh, especially if he's operating as a solo, like independent character more than like the uh, the one. And I like I like my I like my heroes in the Stonehorn or sorry, the Beast Claw Raider aspect to like support each other. Uh, they're more they're more effective that way. Um, so that's my hot take. It's not that exciting of a statement, I guess, but I, I think it's awesome that they did so well. The only thing I have is I love Iron Guts, but that list is so hard to trigger the Iron Gut mechanic. Like, the which is the when a unit of uh, of Maw Tribes basically runs away, or one model runs away, uh, it you know, you can activate it down to the Iron Guts, which gives them a whole bunch of rerolls, and it's really hard to activate that when you have like a one you know, the way they're, that unit and that army set up in terms of body count. Yeah, I, on, honestly, I forgot they had that ability. I've just seen people use Iron Guts just like, as I said, three-man sword hunter units. They're just kind of like this nice scalpel that can just do a bunch of damage. I've actually never seen anybody even attempt, or like, I think most people forget they have that rule. And, and it's, it's too bad because like, it's probably one of the quickest way to make that unit absolutely just a monster. Wait, uh, can you familiarize uh, myself and our listeners about this rule? Yeah, uh, it's just basically uh, when a, a model runs away and an Iron Guts, like, or sorry, a Maw Tribe army, the Iron Guts have the ability to declare that they will be, it's down to the Iron Guts, uh, and they get rerolls of hits, wounds, and saves. I think it's just until the next uh, hero phase activation, if I remember correctly. But I think it's just ones, right? I don't think it's all. I think it's just ones. Uh, but it is. Like I had a first game at LVO, I had somebody use it pretty well effectively against me, uh, in my against my fire slayer. Like he, he had a unit of four iron guts, went down, you know, managed to get that that trigger, and they did like work. They killed like half a hearthguard block in that turn when they had had that activated. So I mean it's it's pretty it's, it, it, the iron guts are probably the one of the best and most point efficient model uh killing mo uh, unit they have in the book. It sounds expensive at first, but then when you realize like in comparison to everything else, like that unit is it's two hundred for two models. Yeah, well, two twenty uh, for four iron guts. Like that's actually they're four wounds a piece, 
four plus saves. You're looking at 16 four up saves for 220 that have like three attacks each that do three damage. Like they're pretty scary. Oh yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Well, he did very well. Uh, and I have not yet fought against a Tribes player, but I am incredibly excited to get the opportunity or the chance to, you know, look at them outside of just theory crafting. And yeah, I was so gung ho about a new army at the same time that these are these guys came out that I unfortunately didn't look too for too too much into this army, or at least not as much as I should. So I'm sure they're going to take me by surprise, like Ko did very soon. <laughs> I think uh, I've had a personally speaking, I've had a very hard time building armies for that book and get excited about them. So anytime I find out somebody's building him and doing a good job with him, I'm yeah. ecstatic to hear that. Yeah, that's kind of where I was is I was trying to build some lists and then was not having some success. And then I see them in action and that kind of invigorates. I'm like, oh, so this is how this performs. And I get really excited. I'm like, that's cool. I want to keep working on that then. like the, I think Ogres is one that I want to like try maybe more towards the Beast Claw Raiders route because I love that their monsters just count as 10 models. Like you kill one more tech guard of a 10 man unit and that one Stonehorn steals the objective. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. wild and crazy. Well, they're wild and crazy guys. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's a thing uh, that I think will take a lot of people by surprise. This one model just taking over an objective because like, oh, you have these like units of five, you know, battle line units that just have an objective and you just have this one monster to go sit on the objective and be like, cool, I steal it from you. Like, I think it's something that is it's very new and I don't think a lot of people are necessarily prepared for it unless you know it's coming. There you go. Six months from now, you guys, we're going to be reporting on the glorious ogre meta. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wait for that general's handbook. Just cut the points, like slash points across the board. Get an FAQ that bumps all their abilities a bunch, and just like glorious so, ogre meta. Well, we we were yeah. talking about it this weekend. <laughs> a lot of people think that Sons of Bahamut are not going to be a destruction army. What would they? Yeah, they might Someone, a, uh, uh, I forgot yeah. who it was yeah. that we were speaking to this weekend, but apparently in AOS fluff. Um, Behemoth. Well, we knew we know that Behemoth is a god beast, which is like a you know, there got there was a god beast campaign a few years ago before match play came out, and like there's a lot of lore set up for god beasts and what they were, which are like these godlike monster creatures. None of them are the same, they're kind of like kind of like titans. Um, but Behemoth specifically hates Gork and Mork. Um, so either it's going to be a fun destruction army that does not worship. What? Who was that, Alex? Who, who, was that? who, who said this? Gork no, and Mork. Was so, Gork and Mork. Gork my, my bad. Gork and Mork. My Gork bad. Yeah, he's he one Gork god Gork now. It's a two-headed dude. Yeah. Um, so so Bahamut actually like hates Gork and Morka in the fluff. So it's either going to be a destruction army that doesn't follow any of destruction's general guidelines, or um, maybe it'll be an army where it's like uh, – like a free blade situation with the knights, like you can have this in your army. By knights, he means I mean forty k when I say that. No, he means Bretonians. They're gonna be this is the new Bretonian. Yeah, so they're gonna. Nobody <laughs> get Vince Morgana. They're gonna find a way to chef Morgana once again. They're gonna be like these knights. They became giants, and then uh, the guppies took them in, and then uh, this happened. 
Oh my God, please. Please, Games Workshop, if you're listening to this, mm-hmm. uh, do that for be me. The heroes, be the heroes we deserve, not the heroes we solid. need. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the heroes we want, not the heroes that's we deserve. Fair. Oh, boy. For our audience, uh, Vincent Morgado is a huge Bretonian fanboy and uh, hates the fact that they got mm-hmm. 22 questions. However, if he is listening, which he edits this <laughs> podcast, so he certainly is, we do want to talk about one other thing here, and it is a little bit of a list review, and it is going to be relevant for his ears. So, uh, Vince, you can definitely listen up. Uh, we do have a good friend and uh, TO, primary TO and organizer of uh, formerly T-Shift, now Cascadia Open, Ben Schmoller. He uh, is a Pacific Northwest player. He's got his Stormcast Eternals, but he doesn't play a lot of Age of Sigmar. And uh, in addition to that, his handle online on Frontline and other websites when he's written articles in the past or, or just commented on things, he's gone by the name Mr. More Tanks, which is primarily because of his Imperial Guard and Space Marine armies that he plays in 40K, or, or at least used to play a lot more. Uh, with Age of Sigmar. He's again played his Stormcast and he likes them. And he's moved on to Custodes in 40K. But we, uh, Jeremy, as a joke, initially started working with him on building an all tank cities of Sigmar list. But it kind of evolved to a list that might be a little bit more of a spoiler. Jeremy, can you tell us a little bit about this list if we were going to take a peek and review some of the aspects of this unique cities of Sigmar army? Unique is a strong word. Unconventional. <laughs> Definitely. It is a general pattern of uh, Cities of Sigmar. Um, the, the the idea basically revolves around his name, which is his namesake name or whatever it is, Mr. Mortank. So as you can guess, it has lots of steam tanks. Um, in fact, it has five of them, one of them being a commander and then four of them not being a commander uh, tank. Um, and for context, the commander basically just adds an extra bunch of shots from like the repeater hand rifle and whatever, their long rifle or something. He, it, it, just two more guns, effectively. But it's also for the command ability. Um, and then in his list, he has a, a Hurricaneum, uh, which is, you know, the, the super awesome mage model that does mortal wounds at range, like, you know, pretty good ones. And also gives, uh, you know, units hold even, I think, 10 inches at the top bracket. Um plus one to hit and shooting. So all of a sudden, like, you know, all those tanks we just talked about and our plus one uh, hit and shooting, which is pretty cool since considering, I believe, the uh, the, the commander's command ability is literally plus one to hit as well against a specific target. Uh, so all of a sudden, like, all the cannons uh, from that, those, those uh, basically, those tanks are hitting on effectively twos against, I think, even minus one to hit targets. Uh, so they're... They're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty scary. Now, what really sells the list for me in terms of a spoiler list isn't so much like the tanks and their ability for them to do so much bloody damage. Um, it's the fact that um, they also has twelve Scourge Runner chariots uh, in the list. And for folks who don't know what Scourge Runner chariots are, they're probably the most yep. under undercosted unit in the game. <laughs> they're, they're fifty points. Uh, for one, effectively, because the unit of three is 150. Uh, they're six wounds, five up save. You know, not, not nothing to write home about. You know, not bad. Uh, 12 inch move. Uh, they have two guns. One of them is uh, 16 inch range. Uh, uh, four hit, five uh, sorry, four attack, five hit, four to wound, no rend, one damage. Uh, the the one that's important though is the 18 inch range, two attacks, hits on threes, wounds on threes, 
minus one rend, D3 damage. Any unmodified sixes to hit with those guns is D3 mortal wounds instead. So there's 12 of those. That's 24 shots with a 12 with effective 30 inch threat range. Uh, that basically, uh, you know, you don't even care about the plus one bonus. Hey, all you're looking for is just the sixes, especially if you're trying to snipe out characters. Uh, you know, it's it's six shots for each block, so you're more like you're on average going to get like one D three mortal wound hit, and then you know whatever the other hits will probably finish off the support character, and then it leaves your battle ta- your, <laughs> your steam tanks uh, to finish off the actual threatening targets. You know, the big monsters and so forth. When they have effectively one shot hitting on twos, winning on twos, minus two rain and d6 damage each. Uh, so, you know, that's fun. That seems fun. You know, real fun. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, I have a question. Yeah. Ha- this, how do you plan on deploying this <laughs> list? Yeah, so I was talking about that, Garrett. Like, so the only Scourge Runner chariots are as big, they're, they're on Bloodthirster bases. So you have 12 yeah. Bloodthirsters. Plus five tanks. Well, and a Luma, and a and a hurricane, which is on a bloodthirster base. Yeah, every I think pretty much all the models on bloodthirster. Base yeah, so you have eighteen. So battle for the pass is gonna be a rough deployment. On, right? Yeah, that battle for the pass. I think straight up you're. No, you, no, you, you can. You can. I've checked. Especially if oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so take it from here on the audience. Uh, no more. Not more. No more, no less. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all you can do. Uh, you know, yeah, it is. It is a pro- so it is good. It's both a boon and a detriment that their bases are so big. Uh, mostly because it gives you the ability for the scourge runner right, or the chariots to effectively wall off your opponent from like objectives or uh, convenient charges. Because uh, you you know you don't really need those scourge runners to be effective for the entire game. You just need them to be effective for the first two turns of the game. Um, especially preventing people from scoring points and sniping at important characters, while you let your steam tanks do all the work for, or at least the heavy hit, heavy lifting for the rest of the game. Now, do I do I think personally this list is a top, you know, GTU podium finish? No, no, I don't. But I think it would definitely do like third place, you know, kind of finish because it is a four and one list. I think, in my opinion, it can do easily four and one, and then maybe a three and two situation uh, if you're slightly unlucky. Just because in the meta right now, like the armies we're playing are like, you know, our top, our high armor kind of like durability armies. And that army just kind of shits on those. So uh, I think it's just, that's just kind of the the reality of uh, playing that army. It's just like, it's, you're going to be effectively uh, not going to have a hard, you're going to have a hard time against that kind of hordy, horde specific armies. Uh, but you'll, uh, oh, and you'll have a great, yep. you know, more against Bone Reapers, uh, against uh, uh, New Zinch, because you'll just be able to snipe out all the characters. Now you're gonna have a problem with like Pink Wars, but you know that's that's a different that's a different problem entirely. Against Keeper of Spam, uh, Celeste screwing a host. Like if you can just effectively snipe out like two of the keepers in the first turn, like you're you're golden for the rest of the game. Effectively, uh, I mean they'll be able to summon another one, but it's like. It, and if, I don't think they'll be able to make up the deficit, especially if you kill uh, the Demon Prince in the first round of comp. Like, and honestly, it's going to be really easy for three tanks that are plus two to hit to snipe out uh, uh, the Demon Prince in the first turn. Uh, oh, and the the city we forgot to mention is Tempest Eye. So all those tanks are getting extra movement in the first round. Um, you can they're going to get uh, plus one save as well as a Scourge Runner uh, chariots, uh, and you know it's just 
the the you know if you really need to, you can give uh, some of the tanks run and charge uh, with command abilities, which I don't I don't think run and shoot, necessary. not run and charge. Sorry, run and shoot. Sorry. Well, I mean, really kind of. They do have only two d six shots or two d six move. I mean, yeah, they it's you know average ten inch move on the first turn with uh, what a, what's it, the cannons is like thirty inches. Yeah, I would say that'd be helpful. I mean, it's if you're Slanesh and you're playing that far back from the tanks, you're you're, you're not gonna have a fun day. Um, so um, the uh, I don't know, it's a fun wacky list for a guy who's got a namesake like you know, or his namesake is basically or nickname is more tanks. Uh, I think it, if he actually plays it and does and goes up to GT, I think he's gonna ruin like anybody who's got like a meta army effectively in the current meta we're playing you know especially when the new luminef comes out you know what i do to uh just make this list even sillier i would take like i'd maybe drop one of the chariots or whatever and just take them all as single units so that all of the chariots are hitting on a two all of a sudden because the sergeant gets plus one to hit yep just take it just like screw your drops you got five tanks and 11 chariots just like screw it yep that is that is probably that's a very good idea there thank you for giving that list just that additional edge in the it's like i got 17 um, jobs what um, about you you know he's got the shadow runners yeah. too which is very helpful 18 with the shadow runners being able to uh basically have a little ambush mechanic for late game scoring will also be incredibly helpful for this army well yeah i guess at that point you can take some more additional units like shadow warriors or anything that no, has like little jeremy bit he's got shadow warriors in the list striking. Yeah, I mean, he, he posted... No, he in, doesn't. Not right now. He, he built a new one. <laughs> uh, I guess he must have built one with dropping the three. He must have dropped uh, three of the... No, he still had... Oh, that's just boring. Three. Like, why would, why would you improve the list? Just spam tanks, spam chariots, call it a day. That's right. I'm, I'm right there with you, Gary. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> looking at it, uh, it is a Celestial Hurricane with the Battle Mage, the steam tank, two Steam Tank Commanders, nine Scourge Runner Chariots, ten Shadow Warriors... Three steam tanks and an extra command point. Yeah, he still has enough. Yeah, points uh, for an he has spell. enough what points kind of for a ten point endless spell because that's nineteen ninety. I would not get what? the one ten point endless spell. I have said many a times that I you could not if the maelstrom was zero points. I would still not take it. It's not worth the cast. On, on, on my on my army builder, he's, it's only he's a down sixty points. He could take. Uh, Are you using War Scroll Builder or a lot using... of spells? Well, Azure's consistently I mean, Azure wrong. Anyway, I mean, not consistently wrong in points. It's just consistently huh. wrong in like options. Um, I don't know. I'll take a look at it more. I think it's. I think. I think it has potential. Uh, not like not necessarily. No, guys, I'm not saying like it's. Please don't think no. this is a GT winning list or anything. It just it has potential for a guy who wants to have fun in AOS. And Absolutely, I completely agree. I think it'll be a really good, uh, fun little army. And again, total spoiler army, a meta buster, if you will. Um, but what I want to know is what our <laughs> listeners think about this particular one. So, if you guys have any thoughts about a Cities of Sigmar list, especially a tank heavy one, do let us know in the comments on in Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, this is going to be uh, Alex, Jeremy, Garrett signing off for the night. Have a good night, everyone. Winning is not a sometime thing, it's an all the time thing. 
You don't win once in a while, and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.